Good morning, my name is Laura. Our scripture reading for today comes from Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. This is the reading of God's word. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the word of the Lord. We are currently in a series on the Lord's Prayer uh, where we're using scripture to unpack this familiar prayer phrase by phrase each week. Uh, if you remember, we started at the beginning last Sunday with the words, Our Father. And we talked about how understanding that God isn't just this distant being somewhere out there, but that he's our Father completely changes how and why we pray. We're no longer approaching God as a boss who accepts us on the basis of our performance, but we're approaching him rather as a loving Father who accepts us simply because we're his children. Now, I know it's very tempting uh, after you hear a sermon about how God is your father and how you can ask him for anything to then immediately pull out your wish list and say, okay, uh, dad, can I have a new life? Dad, can you get me into grad school? Dad, can you get me a promotion? And yet when Jesus models for his disciples how they should pray, He's very intentional about what they're supposed to ask God for. And the first request we see in the prayer after the words, Our Father, is hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now that word hollow is an old English word that isn't used much now, uh, but it's a word that means to treat something as sacred or holy. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the first request, the very first thing you should bring to God is that his name be treated as sacred and holy. Hallowed be your name. And if you remember from last week, you know, we said that the significance of Jesus instructing his disciples to address God as Father is that it brings God down to earth, right? Calling him Father makes God accessible to us. It makes him personal and intimate. But then now it's as if Jesus is saying, but don't you ever forget that God is still God. He's your father, but he's nothing like you. He's holy, which literally means set apart, separate. He's not of this world. He's beyond our comprehension. And I love that Jesus juxtaposes these two words together, father and hallowed, dad and holy. You know, Father tells you God loves you and always wants what's best for you. Hollywood tells you he actually has the power to give you what's best for you. You know, if you have a loved one who's sick and you're asking God to heal him or her, you need to know two things. You need to know, one, that God is willing to heal, and two, that God is able to heal. You see, the word Father tells you he's willing. The word Hollywood tells you he's able Right? Now, conversely, when God doesn't heal our loved ones, we also need to remember two things. We need to remember, one, that God is still working all things for our good, and two, that God's ways are higher than ours. And you see, the word Father tells us he's always working for our good, and the word Hollywood tells us 
His ways are higher than ours. You see the intentionality of putting these two words together. They make up the foundation of what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. On one hand, you need to know that God is completely accessible, that he is with you, that he's for you. And on the other hand, you need to know that God is utterly and completely transcendent, that there's no one like him. Hallowed be your name. I love the message translation of that phrase, reveal who you are, meaning show us your holiness. Now, it's really interesting. Uh, You know, when you read the Bible, there are many attributes associated with God. His goodness, his love, his mercy, his justice. Whenever God describes himself, you know what attribute he opens with every time? His holiness. You know, for many of you tuning in, I'm Jason the pastor, right? For a lot of my friends who knew me before 2019, I'm Jason the worship leader or Jason the musician. Or if you've known me since junior high, maybe I'm just Jason the chubby kid with braces. Uh, But if you were to ask me to describe myself today, I would probably open with the fact that I'm a husband to Carol and a father to Avery and Jack, right? How a person talks about himself usually reveals what is most important to that person. And whenever God introduces himself to human beings in the Bible, the attribute he always opens with is not his love or his faithfulness or his power. It's his holiness. Uh, Hosea 11:9 it says, For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah looks up and sees God, and the first thing he hears is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. What is it about God's holiness that makes it utterly unique from all his other attributes? And let me give us two things. Number one, God's holiness is the attribute through which all of his other attributes have infinite value. Let me explain. When we say that God is loving, we can only understand that through our imperfect earthly understanding of love, right? And so we can put God in a box and just assume that the way he loves people is the way we love people. But when you say God is holy, what you're saying is that his love can't be comprehended by our imperfect human lens. He's not like us because his love is a holy love. You may think you're wise, but your wisdom is different from God's wisdom because God's wisdom is holy wisdom. You may think you understand justice, but your view of justice is different from God's view because God's justice is holy justice, right? There's nothing um, that comes close. There's none like him. He's unmatched. He's unrivaled. Now, the second thing about God's holiness that I want to point out is that holiness, if you think about it, is the only attribute of God that offers no benefit to us whatsoever. Like when we pray for God to show us his mercy, we're praying for something that will probably benefit us. When we ask God to show us his power, we're asking God for something that will benefit us. And there's obviously nothing wrong with that, but essentially that's what we're asking. We're asking for God's help. But when we pray, hallowed be your name, show us your holiness, we're not asking God to show us what he can do. We're asking God to simply be who he is. And this is why any time in the Bible someone encounters the holiness of God, they're not happy. 
They're not like, yes, God is good, he's here. No, they're absolutely terrified and they usually start hating themselves. You see, when God reveals who he is, it always shows us what we're not. You know, the moment Isaiah, who's a prophet, you know, a spiritual elite, the moment he encounters God, you know what the first thing out of his mouth is? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. The moment Job, who the Bible says was a righteous man, encounters God, he says, I see you now with my eyes and I abhor myself. Seeing your holiness makes me hate myself. You see, God's holiness always puts us in our proper place. And so when we say, hallowed be your name, we need to understand how dangerous of a prayer that is because it will force us to reevaluate every single aspect of our lives. And now I want to ask all of us this morning, what are the things that are hollowed in your life? What are the things that are absolutely sacred to you? Because whatever those things are, I guarantee you, they are dictating every facet of your life right now. How you spend your time and energy and resources, how you make your decisions, how you cultivate relationships. We will inevitably submit ourselves to the things we hollow. If work is what you hollow, you will sacrifice everything for it. You will sacrifice time with your kids. You will sacrifice your comfort, your convenience, even your own happiness at the altar of your career. You know, I meet a lot of people at our church who are single, looking to get married, and I ask them, hey, what are you looking for in a husband or wife? Like, what's the most important thing to you? And a lot of them say, I mean, obviously the most important thing to me is their faith. You know, they have to love Jesus. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, I got so many people I can introduce you to. And then one at a time, they're like, nah, not really feeling him. You know, not really into her. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. Uh, fast forward a couple months, they're like, hey, Jason, can I talk to you? So I met someone who I'm pretty sure might be the one. Beautiful, stable job, smart, great family. Not a believer. Um, but open, very open, very teachable. You know, has a couple cousins who go to church. And it always makes me laugh. And I promise there's no judgment at all. But isn't it funny how we convince ourselves that something is important to us, even when it isn't? You see, it's very obvious what we hollow in our lives because everything we say and do reflects it. At the root of all of our worry and discontentment and fear is that which we treat as sacred and holy. And so as we turn to our text today, that's the question I want all of us to be asking ourselves. What do we hollow? Now let me provide some quick context before we dive in. Uh, what we have here is an incident in the life of Joshua, whom God has chosen to lead his people into the promised land. And this scene is taking place the night before his first major battle, the Battle of Jericho, which you probably remember if you grew up in Sunday school. And you have to imagine, Joshua is scared right now. You know, it's his first major battle in the Promised Land. He's probably feeling underqualified, ill-equipped. His men are definitely outclassed. You know, he's heard about Jericho. He knows how heavily fortified the city is. So really, Joshua is walking into what feels like a hopeless situation. And so he's off by himself, uh, probably having a moment, 
when all of a sudden he looks up and he sees this man standing there with his sword drawn. Now Joshua does what any military leader in that situation would do. He goes straight up to the man and he asks, are you for us or for our adversaries? In other words, are you with me or against me? In some translations, it says he demanded an answer, like Joshua is ready to fight if he has to. Now listen to what this man says in response. It's so interesting. He says, no. Like, what does he mean, no? Like, that doesn't even apply here. Joshua asks, are you on my side or theirs? And this guy says, no. But I am the commander of the Lord's army. That's like if you ask me, Jason, In-N-Out or Shake Shack? And I was like, no. Like, that doesn't even answer the question, but you see, that's the point. This man is saying, Joshua, you're asking the wrong question here. The question is not, whose side am I on? The question is, whose side are you on? Should I answer to you, or should you answer to me? Because you know who I am? I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And the moment Joshua realizes who it is that's standing in front of him, it says he falls flat on his face, and the first words out of his mouth are, what does my Lord say to his servant? You know, it's easy to skim over a story like this in the Bible, but when you think about it, it's such a fascinating, strange turn of events, right? In that one interaction, Joshua moves from being the one demanding all the answers to being face down on the ground asking, how can I serve you? And I love what comes next. Take a look at verse 15. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And that's how the scene ends. No ifs, ands, or buts, just, and Joshua did so. Joshua isn't asking any more questions, because when you come face to face with the holiness of God, you're no longer the one in charge. God is. Why do we open the Lord's Prayer with hallowed be your name? Why must our first petition be that God's name be treated as sacred and ultimate? It's because unless we realize that we are in the presence of a holy God, we will always assume that we're the ones in charge. And we will demand answers from God and everything we pray will basically be our way of asking, are you for me or are you against me? Lord, if you're for me, can you make sure my meeting goes well today? Lord, if you're really for me, can you fix my relationship? Lord, if you're really for me, can you help me get out of this financial hole? Lord, are you on my side or theirs? And God says, no, I'm God. You don't call the shots. I do. The real question you should be asking yourself is, are you for me? You see, like I said before, all of us have something in our lives that we treat as holy, sacred, and ultimate. Whether we know it or not, every day we are falling face down and worshiping something. Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's our careers. Maybe it's money. And whatever that thing is, I guarantee you, It's calling all the shots right now. Your life will always revolve around that which you hollow. And when you treat something other than God as holy and sacred, God just becomes a means to an end. We don't love him for who he is. We love him for what he can do for us. 
You know, Joshua's primary concern before this encounter is the battle that's about to take place the next day, which is why he asks, are you with me or are you against me? Are you going to help me win this battle or not? But the moment Joshua recognizes the holiness of God, he's not even asking about the battle anymore. He's asking, Lord, what do you want from me? How can I serve you? You see, when God's name is hollowed in our lives, our questions move from God, help me accomplish my goals, to God, help me accomplish your goals. Hallowed be your name. You know, I mentioned this at our pre-gathering prayer last Sunday, uh, but for me, what was maybe the most upsetting part about the riot that took place at the Capitol a week and a half ago were all the people who said they were doing what they were doing in the name of the Lord. Now, I mean, we've all seen the pictures uh, circulating on the internet, and you had Bibles and crosses and signs that read Jesus saves all over the place. And what was especially jarring for me, given our current series, was actually hearing the words of the Lord's Prayer being recited amidst all the chaos. People were literally chanting, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I'm afraid what we need to realize in this country is that God's name is not a mascot for our political convictions. And I truly believe this conflation between America and God, specifically in white evangelical spaces, is perhaps one of the most dangerous threats to the church today. You know, it's one thing to hold to a certain political view. It's another thing to invoke the name of God to justify hatred, violence, and lawlessness. You see, we've gotten it all mixed up. What we're seeing right now in the U.S. are two starkly different stories about our nation, and we're demanding that God answer the question, which side are you on? And God is saying, no, I don't serve you. Bow down and worship me. Don't use me for your purposes. Humble yourselves and know that I am God. You know, for a country that still reports the largest Christian population in the world, I think I speak for all of us when I say that we have not hallowed the Lord's name. But getting back to the text, now how do we know this man who shows up in front of Joshua is in fact God? Because there's no mention of that in the text. Well, there are several instances throughout the Old Testament where this same mysterious figure seems to show up. You know, sometimes he's referred to as the angel of the Lord, like in Genesis 16 when he shows up to Hagar, and then in Exodus 3 when he shows up to Moses in the burning bush. And what all these instances have in common is that they always use the definite article, the, to describe this person. You know, it's not an angel of the Lord, which we do see in various parts of the Bible, or a commander of the Lord's army. It's the angel of the Lord and the commander of the Lord's army. And the interesting thing about this person is that whenever he shows up, he always speaks as God. He doesn't say, hey, God wanted me to tell you this, or, you know, God wanted me to deliver a message. He speaks in the first person. To Hagar, he says, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. A regular angel can't make that promise. Well, then who could this person be? This person that identifies as God 
and yet is distinct from him and is somehow able to mediate God's presence to his people. You see where I'm getting at here? Most commentators believe that what we're seeing in these texts are in fact pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus Christ himself. And why is this significant? You see, I mentioned earlier that God's holiness is utterly unique among all his other attributes because it's the only one that doesn't benefit us. It's the only attribute that demands something from us. In fact, it demands all of us. This is why everyone in the Bible who encounters the holiness of God always thinks they're going to die. Because you can't encounter absolute perfection and not realize how inadequate and broken you really are. You know, I follow The Rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson, on Instagram. And every time I watch one of his videos uh, about his workout regimen, I go look in the mirror and and I'm so sad. Because I'm like, man, you're small, bro. And, And I know... My body, genetically, is never going to be able to look like the rock. Well, in the same way, we can't pray the words, Hallowed be your name, and not feel incredibly insecure. This is why Joshua, who's a military general, can't do anything but fall face down because he knows he's no match for the one standing before him. But something interesting happens here. Rather than kill Joshua, this man allows Joshua to stand in his presence. You see what's happening here? It's a foreshadowing of what Jesus does for us on the cross. You see, none of us could meet the demands of God's holiness. None of us could measure up. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But on the cross, Jesus, the only one who was worthy to stand in God's presence, bore the full weight of our sin and absorbed the punishment all of us deserved. Why? So that you and I could live with a holy God and not be consumed. And now, because of Christ's finished work, this God who should be against us is for us. And now, for those of you who are familiar with the story, you know what happens next. God does deliver the Israelites out of this impossible situation. He does lead Joshua and his army to victory in a very unconventional way. And you can read all about it in Joshua 6. But it's like, if God knew he was going to do this anyway, what was the point of this entire encounter with Joshua? And it's this. Even though God was, in fact, for Joshua, even though he knew exactly what he was going to do, God needed Joshua to know who was calling the shots. When we pray, hallowed be your name, what we're saying is, God, you're in charge. You're the only one deserving of my life. It's no longer what can you do for me. It's what can I do for you. Friends, this morning, I'm sure many of us find ourselves feeling the way Joshua did that night. Anxious, uncertain, afraid. You know, some of us have businesses that have been closed for now almost a year. Some of us are thinking about the very real possibility that life is not going to get back to normal anytime soon. We're watching the news and it feels like our country is on the verge of a complete meltdown. And I get it, there are so many things to pray for right now. But I believe God is calling us this morning, before we bring all of these requests to Him, To start with, hallowed be your name. 
And in a moment, we're going to have a chance to respond to this word with a song of praise. And I want to encourage you, before you tune out, before you start thinking about what you need to do this week and everything you have to take care of, use this opportunity to simply worship, to fall face down and stand in awe of the fact that this holy, transcendent God gave up everything so that you and I might know him and live in his presence. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.